Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey, Don. I Who's think we that? ought to go more for the boiled cow. The boiled cow. Hey, the, y'all, I'm Sam. You want to be called the weak-minded cow brains? <laughs> what's up don how are you i'm good i'm I, i'm actually a lot better than i think i am well that's generally a good thing i yeah maybe <laughs> i don't know i'm recovering from uh a pre-conference yeah i heard those things are rough especially since i spent this one with you and a <laughs> ride to it and a ride back it was amazing <laughs> you know what the ride <laughs> The ride to and the ride both is about an hour and a half commute. So what is a pre-conference? What is a pre-conference? A pre-conference is what happens in an area. In uh, North Carolina, we have four pre-conferences. Three of them are geographical, uh, central, west, and east. And then one is the Spanish pre-conference. And these pre-conferences are held before the General Service Conference in New York, which is in May this year. Uh, The pre-conferences are a chance for the delegate from North Carolina to understand what members of AA in our area think about agenda items that are going to be uh, discussed at the General Service Conference. Right. So it is a chance for our delegate to be informed, not instructed, but informed about what we think of these agenda items. Wow. And if you listeners found that interesting, you would really like the (laughs) pre-conference. I found it to be very tedious. And yet you showed up for some reason. I showed up because of responsibility. I'm the alternate GSR for my home group. But here's the cool thing is that it's actually open to anyone. It is, yeah. And I can say that I am really grateful and appreciative for people who have the patience and mind for enjoying that. And there are people who really enjoy it. You're one, Sam. And, you know, the, the, the delicate was like going, who had a great time today? And I was like going, wow, you know, I guess she really did enjoy this. But I just found it incredibly legalistic and, and very tedious. But I'm happy to do it and be connected to larger AA. But I, I've really found the most fun of the entire day was the drive up and the drive back. That was a and great there was deal a little bit of that. carrying on and a meal and and, and all that and yep yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah thanks for making it attractive, Don. <laughs> I wish I I wish I could make it attractive. I wish I found it to be attractive. General but service, but here's the thing: different people have different gifts and Absolutely. different interests, and people who are into it can. R- really get enthusiastic about it. And those are the people who I'm very grateful that they like to do it because mm-hmm. it's really necessary. AA doesn't happen by itself, uh, particularly on a national level. And, you know, how are people going to find out about it? How are decisions going to be made about what is anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films, and exactly what amount of money that's being donated to AA as a whole should be spent to delegate, you know, certain amount of money for a commercial or for a PSA announcement. And those decisions have to be made, you know, so I'm just yeah. glad that I'm, well, actually I am involved for another probably four years because <laughs> I'm well, alternate GS or three years anyway. And, and here's the thing about that. And, what I love is is that you show up. It's not something that is like your first choice, but you show up. You've made this commitment to service. Um, but the, the thing also is that um, everyone, I believe, should check out general service. Absolutely true. Um, contempt prior to investigation is one of those things that we alcoholics are damn good at. And, and, yeah, check and, it out with an open mind. Exactly. Because you might just have fun. Yeah. yeah. And at the pre-conference, it was... You and me, and introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Kevin. Kevin. You, Kevin, you were at the pre-conference as well. I was, yes. Along with lots of other people. It yeah, wasn't just the three of us. No, but. It, was, it, was a, 
it was a lot of people all from the all from the you know region specific area where it was being held. Yeah, uh, five districts, I believe it was. <laughs> Kevin, sir, when did you get sober? I got sober October fifth, two thousand seventeen. That was the date of my very first meeting. And when did you quit drinking? Uh, well, the, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Uh, October 5th, 2017 was my birthday, and that was the day that I committed to not drinking anymore. And the very next day, I went to my first meeting. So October 6th, uh, I was going apeshit crazy at home. So uh, I went. Because you weren't drinking? Because I wasn't drinking, yeah. and I didn't know what else to do. Wow. Had you heard of AA? I had heard of it, but I knew nothing of it aside from small things you see in you know movies and TV shows and things like that. So you had a vague image in your mind. Oh, it was of it was super vague. Yes, yeah. uh, the the part that concerned me the most was the religious aspect of it. Uh, I, I didn't. Want, you had heard of that? Yeah, I'd heard of that. I didn't want anything to do with it. I knew that there was God in it a whole whole bunch, and I was like, "Fuck that!" Right. Yes, that well, was the, <laughs> that was my that was, was the no. the weak minded cow brains that we opened. This could be the weak minded cow brains <laughs> podcast because uh, all of us, uh, well, really a lot of people that it seems like a very small percentage of people who come into AA come into AA with a really positive uh, relationship with religion. Uh, there well, are some who do. There are some who do, but let's also face it. Most people, okay, the, the the vast majority of people coming into AA are not coming in there happy to begin with. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. it's not like, oh boy, I'm going to my first AA meeting. The largest organization in the world filled with people who never wanted to be there. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, disclosure, Kevin and I have been working together as sponsor sponsee for a while now. And um, But one of the things that I absolutely love is your story about finding that meeting, that first meeting. Yeah, so um, I was going through a, a bunch of rough shit at home, and... It was like two or three in the afternoon and I was at home. Uh, I was by myself aside from my dog and I was going stir crazy. My mind was, I was, I was losing my shit. Uh, I didn't want to sit down, but I didn't want to stand up. I didn't want to be still, but I didn't want to move. I didn't want to do anything like chores because then I would have to commit to doing something constructive and I didn't want to do that at all. I didn't want to play video games because I wouldn't be able to focus. Uh, and my dad called and asked me how I was doing, and I told him I was losing my goddamn mind. You were at home? Yeah, I was at home. and he. Uh, I mean, by that, you were at your parents' home? No, I no. was uh, where my girlfriend and I lived. Oh, I see. So uh, he was like, hey, we'll be coming through town in a little while. Do you want to meet up for coffee or something? And I was like, yes, coffee sounds great. So he called me a few hours later and he was like, I'm going to be here. Do you want to come meet me? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go there. So I met up with him and I sat in the cab of his truck, uh, you know, about seven o'clock that night and just crying my eyes out because my life had turned to shit and I didn't know how to fix it. And I didn't want to acknowledge that, the, the cause of all that shit was, number one, me, but number two, how I chose to deal with it, which was not deal with it. Let's just, uh, let's just drink about it and then, you know, cause even more shit than what I was currently dealing with. And his wife asked me, uh, hey, have you, uh, have you given AA an idea? Like, have you, have you thought about AA? And I was like, you know, in between like sobs and sips of coffee, I was just like, you know, uh, no. Because they're a bunch of religious, crazy fucking people that I don't want to deal with. And how is religion going to fix me? And she goes, it's not what you think. Maybe give it a shot. Or, or something like that. I don't entirely remember. But it was something along those lines. Was she saying that from experience? Or do you think? Or from now? I later knowledge? found out. I later found out it was from experience. Not personal experience. But... Um, because her daughter was in the program as well. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, because I'd been beaten down so far. Shit, I was willing to give anything a chance at that point, you know? So I Googled 
AA from where I was at on Spring Garden Street. And the very first meeting I ever went to popped up. And it was really close. It was, you know, less than an hour away from uh, time-wise because it was between the hours of 7 and 8 p.m. And that meeting started at 8 p.m. And I was like, I'm fucking going. Uh, wow. So I, I showed up to that meeting and uh, it was in the basement of a church. I remember seeing people come in and out and smoking. And I was like, hey, I saw that in movies. People smoke <laughs> outside of church like norm- normal Churchgoers aren't outside of a meeting on a Saturday night at, you know, 7.50 smoking cigarettes. So I'm assuming... Cussing and talking about God. (laughs) Right, right. So I'm assuming that's where I'm supposed to go. So I showed up, scared as fucking shit, uh, asked if, is that where the meeting is? And the person said, yes. So I I walked downstairs and I see a bunch of people just kind of talking and carrying on amongst themselves. And I sit down in a chair and someone who's still close to me to this day was asking me how I was and what my name is. And, uh, Sam was in my very first meeting. I didn't know that that, that was his name. I just knew that he was tall and he yeah. wore a kilt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of stands out somewhere. And, and I, I thought he's so tall. He is tall. Well, I'm, I'm also short. So <laughs> the other part, that and I then thought, there is the kilt thing. The other thing that I thought <laughs> later thinking back on it was, uh, Sam was in a red plaid kilt with a black shirt, and he was wearing a shirt that had a a bear on it in a in a in a red plaid kilt with a black shirt. And I was like, "That's okay." Uh, and that person who spoke to me in my very first meeting, he told me, I guess it was painted all over my face that uh, I was fucked. And he uh, he goes, "You don't ever have to drink again." And I just started crying right there in the meeting. And it was a, it was a defeat. It was, it was, I didn't know it then, but it was really, really relieving to, to hear that, to know that I was in a place where they had that shit figured out. Uh, And I wanted to figure that shit out too. Your first step happened right there. It did. Yeah. But that, see, yeah, that sounds like you were giving up and, saying tell me what to do absolutely but the the days leading up to that the stuff at home had only gotten worse uh the problems that i cultivated myself uh and didn't know how to deal with culminated and i didn't know what else to do i didn't know a solution i didn't know how to deal with them like a normal person would deal with them i just Drank. Right. Of course. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And from there, it was, I needed help figuring out how to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And I had felt all those mental things. You know, I didn't want to sit down, but I didn't want to stand up. I didn't want to be still, but I didn't want to move. I didn't want to do anything. Oh, that's your description (laughs) of that. Uh, Oh, Um, my God. I mean, I I remember it. It's like just going to, I felt like I was going to blow up. Or jump out of my skin. It was right. Like some, yeah. Something's got to give. No idea what to do with me. But, yeah. yeah. But uh, from there, it was, I show up and I cry my eyes out in this fucking meeting. And I didn't know that this is what happened. Um, I just thought that I happened upon a meeting and it was everything I needed to hear. And it was everything I needed to hear. I know now, but I didn't know then that it was a step one meeting. Um, I had, I have been a party to step one meetings since. Uh, the format of the meeting was a book study and open discussion. Uh, I guess it threw up a, a flag to the home group members and everybody that was in there. Like, we should probably step one the fuck out of this guy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> some meet, uh, some meetings go right to step one if there's a newcomer. Was that going on? And, that and that's exactly yeah. what happened. Uh-huh. Yes. And so they were, as the Quakers say, they were speaking to your condition. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were clued in. Not that they couldn't tell. Right. <laughs> so uh, I know it. It felt really good. Uh, that attraction rather than promotion thing. Yeah, it was an hour of that. And I was able to identify with everyone's problem. That must have been a really horrible birthday 
if you just had a birthday and decide to quit drinking on your birthday. Immediately, yeah. It was it was a shitty birthday, but everything else was going to shit. So, you know, it wasn't too terribly out of place. So you must have had some idea that alcohol was involved with your I knew at least despair. So, so I'll, I'll backtrack uh, to four months prior to that. Uh, my girlfriend has some gastrointestinal issues. Uh, she's an autoimmune disease sufferer, celiac disease. And uh, she asked me to go on uh, what's called an elimination diet, where you just cut out a whole bunch of shit and try to... Slowly f- add back Right, in. to figure out what's fucking your shit up. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, she goes, well, you can't drink on it. And I was like, that's fucking easy. And I thought it was easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. But at I the can same, go decaf anytime. <laughs> but at the same time, I had never had to do that. Aside from, like, go to work, you know. But at the end of work, I would just drink. Not at work, but when work ended mm-hmm. and I would go to leave for the day, I would just be like, cool, now I can drink, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and The whole day is a whole different matter, though. Right. Um, Physically. This was the first time I had ever been, for lack of a better word, challenged with that. Uh, and it wasn't just for a day. It was for six weeks. Uh, and the first day, I was like, what the fuck did I get into? <laughs> uh, and I remember conveying to her, like, wow, this is really fucking hard. She was like, what do you mean it's hard? She was like, just don't. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. But I wasn't, you know. Uh, the first day, I didn't. And I lost my mind. I didn't know that I was going to feel that way. And I had a little voice in the back of my head during the six-week period of like, you might have a problem. And if, like I said, it was a little voice in the back of my head because I was fucking obsessing about it. That is interesting. It was, it, it was any time I would do anything in a transitional point. You know, I went on a, I hadn't thought about this, but I went on a hiking trip with some guys. We went on a um, Friday to Mount Rogers, spent the night, so really extended into the wilderness, this mountaintop overnight. I didn't take, I took a beer, and a, but, but beer's heavy, and I didn't think to take anything else on this trip. Well, during the night, Thank God someone thought to bring some liquor because I was going crazy. And I was like, what did I, why was I not thinking? But also, I didn't know that I needed it. Right. I didn't realize that if I didn't drink during a day at some point that I was going to get into physical trouble. I didn't realize I was addicted to it. I didn't have your experience of going, oh, this is terrible. I just never got in that position again. So <laughs> you're a smart alcoholic. Yeah, I mean, I drank for another 15 years after that, but so maybe 20 years after that. But as, as the time went on in the, the process of the elimination diet leading up to it, uh, I had a week of vacation. I just, I just wasn't at work and I didn't have an agenda. You know, I was, I was off of work for a week. We were visiting my girlfriend's family and did you continue to not drink? So leading up to the actual date that we were going to start this diet, she told me, she was like, Oh, you, you can't drink during it. I was like, it's cool. I got a week of vacation coming up. I'll just hammer beer for the entire week and I'll be good. (laughs) Yeah. Just put it in the bank. And I did. I (laughs) fucking hammered beer for like all week. And I like the way you think. And <laughs> then a proper alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever that day started, the first day I was like, oh shit, what did I get into? And the second day, my mind was going so intensely, I told her that I was participating in the not drinking, but I lied to her. You know, uh, I would sneak a drink here or sneak a beer there. You know, uh, all the while thinking that I was super clever and getting away with it. And uh, I'm fucking not clever. I'm a shitty ass liar. Regardless of how many times I got caught, I kept fucking trying to lie. So she caught you. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. She caught me. She was like, you fucking drank, didn't you? I was like, no. 
No. <laughs> what gave it away? She was like, Kevin, you're so fucking stupid. Um, and well, also going, no. What gave it away? And then like, <laughs> like three days in, I, I committed. You know, three days, that first day, I was like, oh, shit. And then the other two days, uh, my, you know, physical obsession and mental compulsion got the best of me. And then uh, the fourth day, I didn't. And I was the most miserable human you could think of. I was mean to everybody. Uh, and it was my own damn fault that I was mean to everybody. But I was pushing that off on everyone. You said something to me, I was going to be a dickhead to you. My dog barked. I was going to be a dickhead to her. So you were also doing that, but also watching yourself doing it and realizing that you were doing that, that you are doing this. Yes. From the way you're describing and it. And the, the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, you, this isn't normal. You've got a fucking problem here. Mm-hmm. But the whole time I'm in utter and complete denial. I'm like, shut up. I don't have a problem. I just, I really like doing it. Of course, I want to do something that I super like doing. Right. You know? I don't have to. I want to. Exactly. Really, 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 really bad. Um, <laughs> and about three weeks in, we went to go visit her, her, her family again. And, of course, I was being a miserable shithead. You know, woe is me and what about this and self-pity and all that shit. I was entirely unable to be in the moment or enjoy what we were doing because of exactly that i was fucking obsessing the whole time so we went to dinner that night and she goes babe you can have one beer and where we were at i knew what the strongest beer on the menu was so i ordered that beer that one beer and i remember sitting at the table staring at it when the waitress brought it and i remember her going are you gonna drink it and i was like i mean yeah but I don't want to. I really fucking want to, but I don't want to. And she was like, what? I was like, if I drink it, it goes away. Oh, God, that's isn't awful. That, <laughs> isn't it, though? And I remember... You're, you're describing the, the trap of alcoholism. And I remember just... Any, any other time I was drinking, I would slam them. Knowing that I would just order another one and shit would be like, you know, it would eventually get foggy and I wouldn't remember anything. But... That was okay because there was essentially the only thing limiting me was me or money, you know, so I thought. So knowing that only one after like legitimately committing to this thing for a little less than three weeks, which is the longest I had never not drank since I was, fuck, I don't remember a long time. I remember coveting that beer, taking little bitty baby sips, you know. Drinking it like a normal person. Right. Drinking it like a normal person. and Except what you're really doing is hoarding it. I really am. That's exactly what it is. Like, that is the first time I think I may have ever shown any skewed idea of portion control or some kind of controlled anything because I didn't want to see this glorious thing that I thought was, you know, so wonderful in front of me go away. And, you know, of course I drank it. And then we went to the grocery store afterwards and I just stood in the beer aisle drooling, you know, and I would, I would make funny little jokes, but they weren't actually jokes. Mm. You know, it was to see how much I could push. How much can I get out of this? I remember being in Whole Foods and be like, Hey babe, can I get one beer? Just one, just one, one. And she was like, yeah, that's fine. One beer. I grabbed a pony keg. <laughs> That's one beer. It's one container. Just one. It is one pony container. Keg. Because yeah. that was my understanding of a serving. One one container was one beer. Right. She goes, no, a serving oh, yeah. is twelve ounces. I was like, ah, ah, uh, yeah, no. Yeah, no, no, no. I didn't ask for one serving. Right. <laughs> I said funny. one beer, one container, a pony keg, uh, and she goes, ha ha, you're funny. Put it back, you know. And that pissed me off because I didn't want to fucking hear that. And I just was like, oh, man, I remember how that one tastes. And I remember how that one tastes. And I remember how wonderful that one is. And when we got home, she painted that picture to me. She was like, you realize that the entire time we were in the grocery store, all you did was talk about beer and how you miss this beer and how good that beer tastes 
and how you wish you could have this one or how you wish you could have that one. She goes, that's, that's not okay. And I got really pissed off because what she told me was true. Was not what I wanted to fucking hear. I didn't want to accept it as truth, but it it was true as shit. Cause it stung like hell. Yeah, it stung because I thought that I was stronger than that. I thought that I was better than that. I thought that something as menial as beer, because, uh, I wasn't allowed to drink liquor anymore. Uh, something as menial as beer could hold that much weight over me that could control me like that. The reason I'm not allowed to drink liquor anymore. Yep. There's a story there. I'm sure. (laughs) Um, so I've always been a rum person and, uh, my dad, he runs a beach house or did every year and invites my sister and her kids down from where they live. And he invited me and, out of the five or six years he had done it, I this was the first time I had ever been able to go, like because of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had vacation time, so I could take time off to go. Uh, I had the means to go and not just be fucked for the rest of the month. So I put in my time off, and I went. Uh, I was working two jobs at the time, so I would get up at 5 in the morning, and this is exactly how this day went. I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning to be at my first job at 7, to get off at 3.30, to get home in time enough to let my dog out and take a shower, and then be at my next job at 5 p.m. And I worked from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. that night. My girlfriend was going with me. We weren't living together at the time. I got to where she was How much, when is this, how long is this before your description of when you quit drinking? A little over a year. A year before. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was a bunch of, uh, let's only drink beer. Let's not drink I this see. anymore kind of mm-hmm. thing. So I show up at her house at, I don't know, 1030 that night. Uh, she gets in the car. We load our stuff in the car and my dog. And then we drive, you know, three and a half hours to the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I rarely ever eat at work. So working two jobs, I didn't eat all day. Uh, And I didn't eat on the way down there because it was super late on like a Wednesday night and nothing was really open and I didn't want anything from the gas station. So I ended up showing up to the beach house at like two in the morning, hadn't eaten anything all day, uh, worked a sizable amount of time that day. Uh, I did drink energy drinks and chain smoke cigarettes the whole way down there. And then I showed up, and my dad greeted me in the yard with a beer. You know, happy to see you. Here's a beer. And I drank it. And in no time flat, I was like, where are the others? He was like, other beer? I was like, yeah, the other beer. Who the fuck you else? Like, who else would I be talking about? You know, not where's uh, my sister and her children that I haven't seen. In <laughs> the, the others others. as in people. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, he was like, oh, they're in the fridge. So I walk in. Oh, the others. And <laughs> Oh, there's a party here. Of course, I grab two beers and there's a bottle of tequila on the <laughs> kitchen counter. And I was like, "What the fuck is that? I've never had that before." So I go over and I take a big old slug straight out of the bottle and I was like, "That tastes like shit." Oh dear. That tastes like nasty ass pepper water. It's terrible. I think I'll have some more. I'll have some more. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I uh, heard this story and I knew that it was coming. <laughs> so as the night goes on, I go from, you know, not drinking anything that day to being blackout in, in no time at all. Uh, and whenever I drink, I run my mouth. Uh, more so than I run my mouth when I'm not drinking. And my dad was associated with some people and I was picking on him because of who he was associated with. And he didn't like that. Uh, and a fist fight ensued and my girlfriend couldn't pull me off my dad and my sister couldn't pull me off my dad. And my sister's husband was an ex bouncer and he was a very large hulking human being And he grabbed me under my armpits and went to pull me off my dad. And his grip slipped. And he re-gripped and threw me 
from on top of my dad across the porch at like five in the damn morning on a beach house. And I don't remember that, but that's what I was told. I remember the first hit. I remember me hitting him. And then that was it. And then I remember waking up the next day with a hella bad hangover. And it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. And don't know what you've done. And I just know the feeling that I had of, I fucked up somewhere between me not remembering last night, aside from punching my dad, and where I'm at right now, some bad, bad shit happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everybody was super weird whenever I came out of the room. Everything was really weird. Uh, and to make things worse, earlier that day, my dad and his now wife got married that day at the beach. And I was there just fucking shit up. This is the worst beach trip ever. Yeah. It's a great war story, though. So I was tiptoeing around the house and everybody was letting me know in their own way that uh, what I did wasn't cool. So how did you find out what happened? Oh, my girlfriend painted a very vivid picture. Did you? Did they kick you out of the house, or no? Nope. Did you stay? Actually, I uh, talked to my dad, and he said we were cool. And I talked to his wife, and and I say his wife because at the time I was twenty seven, and stepmom sounds weird. So uh, I talked to her, and she said we were cool. And I talked to my sister and her husband, and everybody said everything was cool. You know, they they literally hid the liquor though. Mm-hmm. They literally, I was like, where's that? They were like, don't, don't worry about it. So you're saying you, from then on, decided no more liquor? Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. you had said no more liquor. No more liquor. Just So you had that on that under your belt, knowing that it was a problem. Yeah. And then you had your... The following year's birthday was where it all... Well, the birthday was the end of the month of elimination diet where you were doing some serious controlled drinking. So, like- so during the elimination diet, I didn't... I didn't, I drank that one beer and then I went back to abstaining or being dry or whatever you want to call it. And whenever it was the date that it was over, I literally had the mindset of we got a, we got ground to make up. And Mm -hmm. I committed to that. I was like, I have to make up for not drinking for six weeks, you know? So I, I drank as often as possible, as much as possible. And it was, it was shitty. It was like, It only got worse, you know, because I had this mentality that I have to make up time. So I have to drink more than what I would conventionally drink in a day or a weekend or anything like that. And it got worse. And that slope of shit's going downhill in life collectively got steeper. And I was in a fucking sled riding that shit out, uh, thinking the whole while that it's not going to be terrible and the you know the the rug got yanked out from under me so kevin what happened so so you had your, the birthday and you realized that you got a real problem with alcohol and you decide to go to an aa meeting right and you've described that your life is filled with all these problems which you have no idea how to solve right and you don't know what to do so what did you do in your early days of recovery? Because, I mean, that's a, that's a <laughs> recipe for, you know, if I can figure out how to deal with my problems, I'll be, figure out how to drink. Did you have that kind of thinking going on at all? Or, or um, you know, and, and also it's like, I remember going, what do I do? Tell me what to do. And so to just, I remember the insanity, it seemed, of AA and all these people going, just relax, breathe, stay into right now. But nothing's going to get fixed. Yes. I had exactly that. Because I didn't like feeling. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't like feeling. And whenever I finally stopped drinking. So after that first meeting, I talked to the person that talked to me. that told me I never had to drink again after that meeting. And he said he was going to go to another meeting. So I went to that meeting too. And that was the first time I had had a, like, I could remember actually having an appetite for food. That was the first time I felt kind of okay. That was the first time, like, I felt good in any capacity. 
physically, mentally. Uh, I was able to sleep through the night that night. Wow. Uh, I woke up the next morning and I was still scared as fuck because nothing in my life had fixed itself right. magically. Um, nothing had really gotten better except for I went to an AA meeting and I don't have to be a religious crazy person. That, that was cool. Learning mm-hmm. that part. That was cool. I, that, I was really afraid that, you know, I'm going to lose my edge. There were certain edges I needed to lose, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not true that I had to lose my creativity. And in fact, uh, my creative spark had been drowned in alcohol. Same. When I look at, look at it now, though, I didn't realize it. Uh, I thought that by giving up drinking, I was going to lose all of that. And in fact, the opposite was the case. All that came back after a period of time. Right. But it was wildly different than what I thought. Everything was different than what I thought it was when I came in. Agreed. So in in early sobriety, uh, say like that first month, things at home started to get like there was a glimmer of hope that things could get better. So what were you doing in AA? You first came in. What were you doing that was helping you? What was that first month? Uh, what actions? Yeah, what were the actions? Uh, the whole keep coming back thing. I found a home group. I got a sponsor. And as much as I didn't want... How quickly did you get a sponsor? So I got a sponsor two weeks after my first meeting. There you go. That's good. And I got a home group. The first business meeting that home group had, I went to it and I was like, yeah, I'm in. And I didn't really know what the home group meant. I didn't really know what the home group business meeting or home group meeting was. I just kept hearing at the end of a lot of people share, you know, get a home group, get a sponsor, start working steps, shit like that. And I was like, well, well the home group means become part of a community right. instead of being. But I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yep. You right. know, although it sounds like you've really felt it. You felt a community. So, yeah, for sure. But. Then I knew that the shit I had been doing leading up to me actually seeking the solution of Alcoholics Anonymous, none of that shit had worked. I was like, I don't really want to stand here and talk to people I don't know. But these people keep fucking talking to me and they keep asking for my phone number (laughs) and then they keep giving me their phone number and telling me to call them. What do I call them about? What do I say to them? Did you ever, would you call somebody? No. No. You didn't. No, I didn't call anyone. What the fuck do I say? Oh, you know, so here's a quick answer to that for, for anyone listening. It's an awesome thing. Even if you have to lie, say, my sponsor told me to have to call you. Yeah, that works. <laughs> that had Throw your sponsor done. under the bus. Yep. Um, so I got a sponsor and we set up a date to start meeting and it worked out really well. And this is the reason it worked out. Sundays were my day drinking days, just Sunday because my girlfriend had to get up and go to work and I was left to my own devices, which meant (laughs) I'm going to do what the fuck I want. Which meant sober Sunday is the longest day of the year. So normally (laughs) what I would do is day drink. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would elect to leave the house at a time where I could stop at the gas station that was really close to where I was at and I would buy beer and I would put it in the floorboard of my car and carry on about my day in the worst kind of way. Uh, and by the time my girlfriend would get home from work, I would be very poorly putting a meal together <laughs> because I was struggle bussing because I was pretty fucking drunk trying to be like, look, babe, look what I did for you. You know, <laughs> just drunk as shit. <laughs> So Sundays I made meet with my sponsor day because left to my own devices, I'll get shitty drunk at two in the afternoon. And I knew that. And he, I remember him asking me, what days work best for you? And I was like, well, I'm off on these days. And I was like, maybe this day, because this is what I used to do on this day. He goes, yeah, definitely that day. So that's where meeting with my sponsor on Sundays came into play. And then things started, started, like I said, a glimmer of hope. Things started to get better. And that first month of sobriety, I cried a lot. And I cried a lot because I started feeling. And it wasn't just like a little bit of this feeling or a little bit of that feeling. It 
initially felt like tidal waves of emotion just pouring over me. And I remember telling this to my sponsor at the time. I was like, hey, man, how do I make my mind chill the fuck out? He was like, what? What are you talking about? I was like, every thought, every thought is just, it's just racked with all this emotion. How do I make that shit calm down? He was like, it'll, it'll get better, Kevin. Just, just chill out. I was like, he was like, what is so bad? I was like, all right. So, and this is exactly how I described it to him. I was like, every thought is like a Rubik's cube on a conveyor. And they're just coming at me and I pick it up and I try to fucking solve the Rubik's cube and it just gets harder. So I put it down and I grab the next Rubik's cube and try to solve it and it just gets harder. And I'll grab the next one and I try to solve it and it just gets harder. He was like, that shit will calm down. Like, that's what he told me. He was like, it'll get better. Yeah. But it wasn't the solution. It wasn't immediate. It wasn't that instant gratification. Dude, some of it is you have to go through it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, I wanted a fix. I wanted mm-hmm. to address it the way you I want used to solve to the Rubik's You mean cube. it like all, all us other alcoholics, we want to fix it. We want it now. <laughs> right. That was yeah. exactly <laughs> what I wanted, but that's not what I got. Yeah. And the shit, and it did, it chilled out over time. You have mm-hmm. to, you have to let go of all that. Yeah, I didn't you know what that, I'm, I didn't know what that meant. It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. At the beginning. I didn't know what let sense. go meant. But it is, it's letting go of every problem. <laughs> And how is that going to fix it? I don't know. But yes, but letting go and only taking action when I can really have an effect works. And still letting go of the outcome. And then letting go of the outcome. That's right. It's just like, let's let it, let's let it just go. Just letting thing. go just as hard as you as can. You, as you possibly can. <laughs> I'm letting go over here. And I remember saying that shit to my sponsor. And he would come back with the answers that would end up being on the resentment part of my fourth step later. (laughs) But he would be like, hey, man, everything will be okay. But you don't have to drink about it. I'd be like, shut the fuck up. That's not what I want. I want the answer to this thing that I just asked you about. We're not talking about that shit right now. We're We're talking talking about about drinking. (laughs) We're talking about this, man. How do I fix this? this? This problem, these problems, how do I fix those? And he was like, it'll work out the way it's supposed to work out. But you don't got to drink over it. Piss me off. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's not the answer I wanted. Mm-hmm. It's not the answer that would fix the shit that I didn't want to deal with or didn't know how to fix right then and there. His answer was not this is how we fix this problem. It's not what I wanted. I just had to be patient. And patience, even now I struggle with patience. I want what I want when I fucking want it. And I'm perpetually having to let that go. I get that now. I get what that means now. But then letting go was like, it's not in my hand. I don't have it. What am I holding on to? It was a very one-sided, very tunnel-visioned idea of letting go. Like, I don't physically have it, so how can I have it if I, or let it go if I don't have it? Did your sponsor ever mention anything about a higher power? Yeah. Yeah, that was really fucking hard for me because I walked in these rooms an atheist. Uh, fuck that. I don't need your God bullshit is how I walked into the rooms. So, so how have you dealt with that? What um, is, what's your higher power? The, the cool thing about that was, was my sponsor at the time also is an atheist. And he was like, this was really difficult for me. And this is how I got through it. Um, he actually like, he conveyed his feelings when he first came into the rooms to me. And he too had a lot of the, the same issues that I had how do I immediately go from being an atheist and not believing in a God to believing in God and trusting in a God uh, of my own understanding? And that was the part that did it for me, of my own understanding. Uh, and, And honestly, I know we shouldn't rationalize things. That's exactly how I came to believe in a power greater than myself, was I had to rationalize it. Power, what, do you, what do you mean, right? And I'm going to explain it. So power, to me, could very well mean strength. Well, what is stronger than I am? A truck. A truck is stronger than I am. It's also larger or longer or taller than I am. So it could be a truck, you know. And then I was like, ah, okay, I like how I did that. So then it turned into, like, once we started reading the big book, uh, my sponsor at the time, he told me to make a list identifying, like, physical or, or, or character traits about my higher power. So I did that. 
Some of them were more physical than others. A lot of them were just very clear communication avenues. Super articulate, understands me even when I'm not articulate. So like I want out of it what I wasn't willing to give to it. You know, I want it to be super articulate even if I'm talking in circles and can't get out a clear thought. I want it to understand what I'm saying. Uh, calls me on my shit, doesn't lie, keeps me sober, things like that. Is this an aspiration list of what you want in a higher power? Yes. So the other part to it was my higher power's name is Motherfucker. Uh, and the reason my higher, my higher power's name is Motherfucker is because everybody has somebody in their life that is full of shit. And whenever you see that person coming towards you, I know for myself, I go, oh, shit. Here comes this motherfucker. So I thought initially going into this, I'll just call this higher power or whatever it is, motherfucker, because it's not going to deliver. It's not going to work. It's not going to give me what I'm asking it. It's not going to keep me sober. That's going to be something I'm going to have to do. It's not going to do anything that I will or I'm not going to believe in it. Right. I'll tell you that much. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and in the way That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> right. So and th- and that was how motherfucker in my own mind came to be. My sponsor recommended reading certain things and developing a prayer that I could say to my higher power. Ever since then it has always started. All right, motherfucker. Because initially, I didn't believe that I was going to receive the things that I was asking. That's for. what's so incredible about it is it d- doesn't matter whether you believe. And what I, matters is that you surrender and ask. Right. And initially, I was like, "This shit is pointless. I'm just talking to be talking to myself out loud. I hope no one around can hear me." Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and shit started coming back. Keep me safe, sane, and sober. That shit started coming back. Uh, the, the same part took some time, but the, uh, the safe part happened. The sober part happened, you know? And as I was progressively working the steps with the guidance of a sponsor, I was able to add things in to that prayer that I was able to cultivate, and it has changed substantially from then to now. Even now, I call my higher power motherfucker but uh i i do not feel the same way about motherfucker i did then as i do now motherfucker doesn't care what you name him exactly (laughs) or her i love it yeah and i love it whenever you and i are having a a quick check-in or something and you talk about just got through talking to motherfucker i mean you bring joy to me with that (laughs) (laughs) I like the thing that I read in East of Eden, John Steinbeck book, where a guy has a divining rod and they're going to find water, this well. They have no idea where the water is. So he gets this old man who has a divining rod and they're riding in a truck and to look for water. And he's got this rod, which is a, a forked stick, and he waves it in the air. And when it naturally points down, it points down to where water is. And he's going do you really believe in that? And he said, well, I don't know that I believe in it, but I know it works. Okay. When I read that, I I just found it was a beautiful description of what happened to me and my idea of my higher power uh, for the longest time. Now, now I've, I've gotten to the place where I believe in it because it works. Right. I mean, my life is so much different and so much better than it used to be. So I'm just going to say I believe in it. But for the longest time, that that, that worked. And and it's fine. It doesn't matter whether I believe in it. And that's the thing is I don't have to justify this to anyone today. Um, I identify as an atheist as well. And I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing because it works and I don't need to define it in any way, shape, or form. And the cool thing is, is that my understanding of this thing that I do and, and how this works changes over time. And that's cool. You know what I've come to believe, Sam? I don't know if you'll sign on with this. Probably not, just to be contentious. Probably not. 
because I think that's part of the whole thing is what it is, is you're just not willing to give up the idea that you believe in God. What I did was I changed the definition of God to that thing that I believe in that works. And that's what God is. And it works and it's real. And it's, it's spiritual. I mean, it's outside of it's outside of geometry and physics. You don't want to take that step and use that word, but you... I do use that word. I say God all the time. Well, yeah, you do. And, 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 and I say it but because by- of you, Don, because <laughs> all those years ago when I heard you at a speaker meeting and I was like, I don't know, three months sober or something, you talked about the word God when you mm-hmm. came into these rooms and how much of a problem that was for you and that uh, you you got a concept, but it took 10 minutes to explain what it was, and then one day you realized it was just easier to say God because you knew what you meant. I glommed onto that right away, and yep. it got rid of the word God being a problem for me. Mm-hmm. However, my idea of a higher power of God or whatever is not what a lot of people would go with. Right. It's, but you don't want to give up the word atheist. Well, because it's not a theistical you thing. Do believe it. Okay. It's not yeah. a theist thing. It's it, it it is atheist. Oh, okay, okay. I can see that. I can see that. There's something, I don't know what the fuck it is. I am not going to try to figure it out. All I know is that when I do the stuff that I've been doing, things work. Can all three of us agree that it's a higher power though? There is a higher power. There think, is a something. Yes. I was going to say everybody has their own interpretation of what that higher power or that something is. Right. I will agree to that. Yeah. It's words. And what it is is we don't have to get <laughs> hung up on words. And it's important to me that people don't... Um, well, I've actually let go of that as well. I don't care what people think. But for the longest time, it has been important. And I guess in some certain situations, it would bother me. You know, like when my brother was in the hospital and he was dying of cancer and a friend of his came in and sat in the room, he was out of it. He was unconscious. He was on all these heavy drugs and he hadn't said anything in about an hour and a half. And I had been there, and this this girl comes in, sits down. So we're sitting there in silence. I don't know who she is. She doesn't know me. And she looked over at me and said, do you know the Lord? And everything in me riled up, and I was like going, well, now what am I going to say? I, mean, I don't, I, there's all these political associations with the way you put that, and uh, there's all these assumptions of all kinds of whole world of belief systems, that, and how, how am I going to describe that? I'm not what you think I am, and, but I don't know what to say. And out of the bed, my brother says, he does. <laughs> <laughs> That is not what I expected this to go. (laughs) (laughs) It was fantastic. I was so grateful for him for getting me out of that. You know, I think that the coolest (laughs) thing for me, and I'll leave it at this, is that I love that we do have that of our understanding concept within our program. Uh, Because without it, I wouldn't be here. And, And what it boils down to for me is... There are all kinds of concepts of higher powers. And it's fun sometimes to sit down and have that conversation with someone about it. But one thing that I promise you is that my concept of a higher power conversation is going to be very general in Mm -hmm. a meeting. One-on-one or in a small group, coffee or whatnot, you know, I'm willing to chat about it. I'm willing to like do that mind exercise of what is it right now? Describe a little bit. Um, But in the rooms, in meetings and such, just in a general Keep way. It general. It's my understanding. And, and it should be general yeah. because we're all talking about our own individual understandings. It, right. It's God as you understand him. So mm-hmm. and we're the, all that way. And the fact that AA does not tell me what to believe is Kevin, one of the reasons it works. That's right. Kevin, thanks for coming here today, and thanks for bringing <laughs> Motherfucker along with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Really glad you came. <laughs> but don't watch go out. Anywhere. Seriously, you're going. Well, you're kind of short. You won't have to duck. See. <laughs> it's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? 
you. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, motherfucker. <laughs> That's what I call Sonny. <laughs> You can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Olivia in Washington State. It's really kind of cool how this worked out, too, because we talked about this a little bit earlier. Olivia says, How have you accepted let go and let God as an everyday part of your life? Wow. Yeah. That's exactly what we were talking about. Yeah. So how, how, is that, how have you accepted that? How does that work? I guess accepting it is really a key word there because it's uh, it's accepting that I can trust the nothing is the way I felt at the beginning. And I remember very clearly praying and asking the nothing for help and getting help. My first prayer was, it was a, on a Sunday afternoon, the longest day of the year. And every week, I, every week, <laughs> and um, the, I guess the longest day of the week. And I was on my front porch, and I was gonna either just blow up or screw it, go get some beer and get drunk, which I did not want to do, or I was gonna have to pray because something had to give. And so I, I said a prayer. I said, "God, get me out of this." And my next thought was, Don, you've tried to get out of everything your whole life. You need to go through this. And it wasn't another voice in my head, like it was my voice, but it wasn't my thinking because I had never chosen or had a, a feeling that I need to go through pain. <laughs> Let's go through it and learn from it. It was never been my experience. And I got through that afternoon. And then I got through another week. Then I got through three weeks. And, you know, my sponsor said, you ask God to keep you sober in the morning. So I did it, though I didn't believe in it. But I was staying sober. And then I've had numerous experiences that were beyond what I thought was my ability to handle. I talked about my brother and going through the end of his life. And, and I was able to be there for him during all this time in a situation where, let me tell you, I would have been drunk. And he and I were, were at each other's throats most of our lives. We didn't get along that well. But we did at the end, and I was able to be there for him, only from being in AA and being sober and mm -hmm. being able to deal with it one day at a time. And being supported by the whole community we're, that we were talking about. Just, uh, what? Where's all this coming from? Well, I'm going to allow that that's all coming from my higher power. And by allowing it and doing it, I got the results of it. So it's gotten to the point now that just screw it. I believe it. <laughs> that's the way I've done it. I've done it by doing it. And, you know, it's kind of like a scientific experiment. We're going to run the experiment. Okay. I'm, and that's exactly the way I started. I'm going to run the experiment. My sponsor said, once you put all this, your previous thinking that I was arguing with, with him about, <laughs> why don't we put this on the back burner? Because I had these ideas about theology and stuff. He said, why don't you put this on the back burner? You've done a lot of thinking about this. Let's set it back here for only for three months, and then we're going to re-examine it in three months. And for the for the next three months, look, just focus on AA. Put your energy into that and see what happens, and then we'll compare. Well, I was going, hmm, good idea. Well, he knew that if I really did that, that in three months my thinking would have changed, and it did change. My brain got washed. <laughs> it needed it. It needed some brainwashing, <laughs> and, and it's... And it's been a much better life than I could imagine. Well, I'm glad you're sober and letting go. I'm letting go as hard as I possibly can. Sometimes there's <laughs> claw marks. Yes. Kevin, how have you accepted let go and let God as an everyday part of your life? Uh, I, initially, I struggled a whole bunch because I didn't want to let go because I thought my problems 
even though everybody else around me had helped me get to that problem, I thought they were my <laughs> own uh, kind of situation to solve it. So I felt like I needed to wrestle the problem into submission. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> but it, 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 that shit never worked. It didn't work before I came into the rooms, and it didn't work while I was in the rooms because it just made me think that much harder about every damn thing that was going wrong. So for me, it's I'm, I have to turn my will over day in and day out. Uh, and even though sometimes I take that shit back, as soon as I recognize that I've taken it, I'm like, ah, fuck. No wonder it's going like shit right now. <laughs> uh, and then I give it back. And of course, I'm probably going to fucking take it again. But I have to give it back. Um, and, and trying to keep that in mind, that I'm not in control. You know, saying many times to myself, thy will be done, you know, not mine. Uh, I, I keep that in my mind pretty consistently. And even though I'm not perfect, I know that I'm not perfect. And I know that I will try to control as much as possible, as often as possible, perpetually giving it over, saying I'm not in control. Thy will be done, not mine. That's how I check myself throughout the day is... What am I trying to do that's not fucking working? Because I'm trying to do it. And I've found that when I'm not trying to wrestle a solution out of a problem, things go a hell of a lot easier. Got it. Yeah. That's how. I like that. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, it, um, it's an experience thing. There was some concept of a higher power when I got here, but it was one of those things of, uh, you know, like, I'm not part of this. And what I finally <laughs> got was that, uh, and I love the the way third step was explained to me at uh, early on of of that you know my will and my life that's my thinking and my actions aligning those with that higher power. So I started doing that to the best of my ability, and and what has happened is that over time I have my own experiences to look back on and see just how things work out really fucking awesome. Okay. When I let go and let God, when I align my thinking and my actions with a higher power, I didn't have that to begin with. So I had to trust you people when you said that that worked for you. And so I trusted. And ultimately, I started having my own experiences that I was able to look back and realize, because I sure as hell didn't catch it in the moment. But I looked back on it and realized, wow, this is working for me too. And that alone makes it so easy to keep on doing it. So it is just a daily thing. And I love Kevin that you pointed out the um, you know the taking back and the and the, the realizing it and 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 like all right I got to let go again and all that kind of stuff. Right. And it, like oh I'm bombarding I'm I'm like uh, I love the bombarding word that we've got in the big book I'm bombarding it with my will <laughs> and it doesn't work. It causes problems. Right. Bulldozing pushes things up in front of me. And so mindfulness is that other part of it for me, that being mindful, being willing to look throughout my day of where am I fucking up? Where am I trying to bulldoze or bombard? Uh, and being willing to like, oh, that's where that is. Let go. Hey, God, could really use some guidance on this thing. Guide my words. Guide my actions. And so those little prayers, those little requests for help, are just a normal part of my life today. And that's very much accepting let go and let God is throughout the day, I'm asking for some guidance. Right. Nice. You know, if you say the word bombard 10 times, it starts to not make any sense. Bombard. 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 Join us, Kevin. Bombard. 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 What is this word that I'm saying? <laughs> it's it's I've it's like artillery. It is bombard. You bombard. You bombard a problem <laughs> with your will. My will is explosive. <laughs> with your explosive <laughs> will. <laughs> Kevin, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Big time. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Wait Podcast. Wait a minute. What? Oh, that nasty owl. <laughs> we have a very jealous owl. I what? just stepped on the, the boiled owl's toes. I need to make amends. Our, je <laughs> our owl is like the Old Testament God. Very jealous. It's a squish owl. <laughs>
I knew something was missing. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.